gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head and Shamak Klaasandu in New York City. We are in Madison Square Garden. Uh, we're at a place called Penzies. And uh, you scoped it out earlier, Sandu. Yep. It's a uh, little bar slash restaurant. And uh, we're just settling into life here in New York. It's pretty cool so far. It's amazing to be here, honestly, it really is. There's such a buzz about the city, not just for, obviously for the UFC being here, uh, but you know what a time to be here during election season or you know the election day as we're recording it. it we will by the time this podcast probably comes out later on today, we will know who the pre new president of the United States is. That's unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I, I got here on Saturday, um, got out here a little bit early. Uh, fortunately, I've got friends and family uh, in here in New York, and I was able to spend some time with them. Uh, but while they were at work yesterday, I had some free time to walk around um, Times Square and. Uh, the UFC have done a great job kind of um, getting some of some of the digital billboard um, signage uh, in prime locations in Times Square. So I scoped those out, took some pictures, came here, done a bit of reconnaissance in Madison Square Garden, as I'm sure we'll be spending the majority of the week here, and uh, found this nice little bar, Penzies, um, as you literally come into Madison Square Garden, just on the right-hand side, and, uh, and I guess it'll be a full Irish takeover, I'm sure they'll be serving lots of Guinness in the next couple of days. Yeah, I did warn, or attempt to warn the Uber driver uh, that, that picked me up yesterday. He seemed blissfully unaware of the carnage that's about to ensue. He said, yeah, no, New York's always busy like this. I'm like, no, there's gonna be about 20,000 drunk Irish people descending on your city in about 48 hours time. And all everything you thought about New York is gonna just go up a few notches. It's gonna be green, white, and gold, and it's gonna be absolutely crazy. The reason for that, of course, and the reason why we're here is UFC 205, Conor McGregor, bidding to, basically gonna go for history, isn't he? He's trying to become the first UFC athlete to win two world championships and hold them basically simultaneously. It's yep. gonna be the first time that's ever happened, if you can get it done. He's fighting Eddie Alvarez, who is as tough as they come at 155 pounds. He destroyed Rafael Dos Anjos uh, to win the title. Um, it's a tough assignment for him. So we're going to talk about that on this week's show. We're going to talk a little bit about New York. We're going to talk a little bit about Madison Square Garden. This is a big deal. Yeah. This is a big deal in combat sport terms. Uh, and it's a big deal for us as, as people who cover combat sport. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, obviously, we'll, we'll have a little chat about the main event. Uh, this is this is, this is is a election town right now. You know, We're talking about are they going to vote for Hillary or are they going to vote for Donald Trump? We're going to have to put our vote in. Is it going to be Eddie Alvarez or is it going to be Conor McGregor? No sitting on the fence on the Brit Pack. None whatsoever. And uh, we'll talk about a few other bits and pieces around UFC 205. And of course, as we like to do every show, we will answer your questions as tweeted to us at the Brit Pack MMA. First thing before we carry on. Yes. And we normally do all the plug-in at the end of the show, and we will. Please do check out our new website, uh, thebritpackmma.com. The home for all things Britpack. We will even be uh, adding little blog posts from now and again. We're both all set up on there. You'll be, it's, it's the place to get all the shows. You'll be able to subscribe from there. You can listen to the shows from there, and you can check out some bonus content as we drop as we drop it. And we may well have a few bits and pieces go up there this week. Uh, yeah, and I think um, you know initially we just had the site um, there to host the podcast, but we've been speaking about this for a few weeks, Simon. And I think the idea is is there's just we're content creators in a way, aren't we? And there's so many ideas that sometimes get left on the cutting room floor. Like uh, in, in my role, I'm always pitching ideas to, to Dan Stuff and John Morgan at MMA Junkie or to uh, Dwayne Finley, who's my boss at Flow Combat, or to Nick Pete, who's my boss at Fires Only. Sometimes they give me the green light for an interview or for an idea or for a franchise. Sometimes they say no. 
but I still feel confident that some of these ideas can work. Now we've got our own platform, we've got our own website, and if this is going to be um, you know, a great platform for us to kind of push unique, different, interesting um, content out there, some of it may be skewed just to the, the, the British MMA fighting community, but at the same time, like the podcast, more than anything else, is for you and me to give our British flavoured perspective on the sport um, as we kind of continue to you know, cover it moving forward. So as we said, we're here in Madison Square Garden. This may well become a bit of a roving podcast. We might move around the city, record, record a bit here, record a bit there. But right now, we're in Penzies here at Madison Square Garden. It's the obvious place to start off fight week. Yep. Because uh, this is the it's known as the mecca of combat sport. Um, now, as well as legit, proper combat sport, boxing, MMA, obviously it's the first big MMA event they've, been, they've held. It's also a big venue for like professional wrestling. You're, I'm wearing a professional wrestling t-shirt as I'm sitting here. You're a huge pro wrestling fan, Sandu. Yeah. What does this place mean to you as someone who grew up watching WWE having huge events here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, growing up in, in the 80s, you know, that was the, the Hulk Hogan era. And, um, you know, Madison Square Garden, you know, famous for, you know, launching a, or the birthplace of WrestleMania. And you always had that iconic moment of, you know, Hulk Hogan, you know, body slamming Andre the Giant. But then as you kind of go through the years, Madison Square Garden in, in, the, in the WWE world has hosted so many fantastic moments, memories. I mean, we've spoken about this in other shows, you know, I did kind of graduate into MMA from pro wrestling just at the turn of that Attitude Era in the late 90s, early 2000s. And there's just been so many amazing moments here. You think of uh, Bret Hart versus Owen Hart at WrestleMania 10. You think of Bret Hart from the perfect SummerSlam 91. Um, a few years later, um, Rocky's, Maivia's debut, or The Rock as he was later known. Um, Vince McMahon getting the first ever Stone Cold Slammer from Stone Cold Steve Austin here on a Monday Night Raw. And, uh, and, and since then, I mean, this, this venue's hosted so many, you know, good WWE events. And, you know, the WWE was always known as the, the, the New York company, you know, when it was, you know, split into, in, well, when pro wrestling was really in a, in a territory um, state uh, in, its, uh, in its industry. But, um, yeah, growing up, I mean, MSG and the crowd and the pro wrestling, you know, crowd um, always used to give it a special atmosphere. You always used to look forward to a WWE event in Madison Square Garden because it was almost the most raucous, the most hostile, the most unforgiving crowd. And if you weren't at the top of your game, they'll let you know about it. And that's what New York crowd will give you. And that's what gets me so excited when I think about what kind of crowd we're gonna get. Obviously, we're gonna have international fans flying in, but will they switch on into New York City MSG mode? Or will we see the local indigenous population here in New York come in and give it a different flavor? Yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be something special. Now, I'm more more of boxing background than, than, than pro wrestling. I used to watch a bit of pro wrestling, but for me, this is, this is, just history right here, you know? Muhammad Ali, uh, Joe Frazier, um, Lennox Lewis. Tyson even a few Tyson fights. Tyson yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, this, is, this is combat sport history we're talking about right here. And for the UFC to be shut out effectively for all this time has really robbed us of some really historic moments. And now the doors are open and, you know, they're going to come barging through with their size nines this weekend. It's going to be... It's a huge show, they've snacked the deck, three world title fights, and I think this is a show that people are going to be talking about for years, maybe decades to come. Much as we still talk about UFC 100, uh, I think we're going to be, it's going to be held up to that sort of level, probably higher. Um, and uh, I'm also really interested to see 
how important this venue is moving forward under the new ownership of the UFC. Will they still base most of their events out of Nevada and Las Vegas and the big T-Mobile Arena they've got out there? Or will they start to use New York a bit more of a base? This is the, this is the financial capital of the world, right? The media capital of it's the world. It's the media well. capital of the world. And, this play, and, and, and the UFC is owned by one of the biggest uh, media agencies in the world, right? So this is their backyard, you know what I mean? And, and to have it here and to get the great and the good of the media, the great and the good of the sporting world, the celebrity world, the advertising world, they will all be here. It's kind of weird this week because obviously we've got the general election, you know, the uh, presidential election taking place. That's going to take place tonight. We will find out hopefully by the time we uh, lay our head to rest who won. Certainly by the time we wake up tomorrow morning we'll know who won. And then the fallout will begin. But as that fallout begins, fight week kicks off. And yeah. it, it's, it's going to work perfectly. And um, all of a sudden the buzz for a, a UFC fight week will kick in. Conor McGregor will come in all guns blazing. And they're going to, make no mistake with it, Sidney Alvarez, Conor McGregor, Frankie Edgar, Chris Weidman, they want to have their New York moment. And especially for the likes of Edgar and, and Rashad Evans and Weidman, this is, this is the, their venue. You know, this is where they have dreamt of fighting for their entire career. They're on the card and it's going to be a really special night for them. It'll be interesting to see whether they are sort of almost inhibited by the occasion, whether it becomes too much for them or whether they rise to the occasion and deliver an incredible performance. It's going to be very, very special. I'm personally ridiculously excited to be here. Um, I try and keep things on the level and all the rest of it. And, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing to be able to do, coming and covering these fights. This one just feels more special than anything else. And I, I, I really cannot wait uh, for the atmosphere in that arena on fight night. It's going to be something very special. You know, Sly, you talk about this place having so much history and you, you, you know, go back to those massive boxing heavyweight fights from back in the day. The UFC released their, almost their prime time or their preview show um, in the last 24 hours on their YouTube channel and it's, and it's called Fighting for History. And it's, uh, you know, on the one hand, yeah, it's historic because of what Conor McGregor is trying to do or attempting to do on Saturday night becoming the first ever simultaneous multi-weight UFC champion. But really, the historical moment is the years that the UFC put in, in into the, the politics of trying to get MMA legalized here in New York State. And for them to have done it, uh, and they, they, they were able to kind of almost, you know, get some of the footage uh, from the, the different, um, you know, political proceedings that have taken place over the many, many years. So kudos to them to kind of show the, the storyline develop over the years to actually get the approval. And it, it, almost in a way, this is the final hurrah for the Fatita family and the Zufa era, having obviously you know, got MMA legalized here in New York. And they always said from day one, you know, when they finally got into New York, the very, very first uh, card will be bonkers. You know, it, it, they'll stack it and they've kind of lived up to, you know, technically it's not really under their ownership anymore, but their fingerprints are all over this. Yeah. and. I think when, when they, well, we're, we're writing the history of, of the sport every day, but when we look back at this event, I think this is the legacy of Lorenzo Fatita in particular. Um, if, you th if you think what that man has actually done for the sport, in terms of getting it legalized in Nevada, was, was, was the big one. Having been on the Nevada Commission, he used to help sanction the Mike Tyson boxing uh, fights back in, back in the day. And then he was sort of poacher turned gamekeeper, or gamekeeper turned poacher rather, because um, he then ended up on the other side of the coin, 
lobbying for MMA to be legalized. And one by one, the doors came down. And uh, this was the last one. And they got it done. And I, I suspect that, I assume he'll be here. I hope he'll be here. Because this is, this, is uh, this is his legacy right now. Absolutely. And uh, hopefully he'll sit back with a, with a fat ass whiskey, as Conor McGregor might like to say. Have you seen his beard on his Instagram? Lately? Yeah, he's gone full Father Christmas. <laughs> he has gone full Father Christmas. And this is the best present he could possibly have given to nice the segue. UA. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm all, I'm all fun today. And um, yeah, it's, it's going to be something really special. Um, we're here at Madison Square Garden. There are so many different and cool places we can check out. Um, what we'll do, we'll hit stop, we will dash off, find somewhere else, and we will carry this on right here on the Brit Pack. The Brit Pack is back again. We are now outside the Penzi, um, just outside Madison Square Garden. It is a beautiful autumnal day. Uh, we're sitting here in a pair of t-shirts, um, so the weather's not too shabby. Uh, looking at the uh, the big wraparound advertising you were mentioning earlier, Sandu. Yes. It's currently a Facebook Live advert. In a minute, it will be a huge uh, wraparound image of Tyron Woodley and Conor McGregor. And Joanna uh, Janjicic. And Joanna Janjicic. And it looks spectacular. Um, and on, behind your shoulder, we've actually got uh, the iconic kind of like uh, circular shape that is Madison Square Garden. And there's a, a massive advertisement of uh, Ronda Rousey. Um, uh, with some sort of promotional gimmick for DraftKings.com. DraftKings, yeah. And uh, yeah, and it's just, uh, it's crazy because there's lots of production crew outside MSG and the Penzi right now. I just saw Michael Bisping's Instagram um, saying that he's just literally 10 minutes down the road where the UFC Tonight crew are all setting up to film there. So um, yeah, it literally is a, you know, a UFC takeover of, of this uh, area of New York. Yeah, it certainly is. And as you can probably hear faintly in the background, there are sirens going off. There's people sort of strolling about doing their, their daily their daily stuff here. They probably are for us, from all the jaywalking we've done. I have, it's a minor miracle I've not been arrested. Because not only have I been caught jaywalking twice, I've done it in front of police cars on both occasions. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, coming from London, you just cross the road when you can, don't you? Over here, you have to be a little bit more... A little bit more careful and uh, I've avoided being hit by a car that's good um, and I've avoided being arrested uh, arrested also good but uh, people don't want to hear about my uh, petty crime on the streets of New York um, let's talk about UFC 205 that's why we're here um, Eddie Alvarez he's uh, from Philadelphia which is not too far from here at all yeah um, and uh, is he being discounted in this fight? Everything seems to be about Connor. You mentioned the documentary earlier. Yeah. It's very much about the historic angle, not just of the event, but also what Connor McGregor's trying to achieve. But Eddie Alvarez is no mug, and he's been fighting some of the best fighters on the planet for years. And he's finally got that UFC belt, having joined the UFC. He's taken the hard road to get the title shot. First shot he had, he won the belt. And this is his first title defense. Now. I've been shot down on social media for suggesting this, but I don't think he's in the least bit phased by Conor McGregor. You know what, Simon? I've had the exact same um, social media reaction to having the exact same opinion. I thought the way he handled himself during last week's media conference call was um, of a man who is exuding confidence, uh, doesn't seem to be phased at the least by the McGregor show, and, um, and maybe he didn't exactly have the arsenal of zingers to you know, hit back 
at, at McGregor in, in any verbal exchange. But from what I could gather from just the tone of his voice and things of that nature, he seems to be super, super confident coming into this fight. Now, are people discounting him? Well, it may not be a fact of people discounting him or those in our MMA bubble or maybe in the mainstream you know, community who are just kind of jumping on this event because it is Conor McGregor who's fighting. It may just be the fact that Conor McGregor has his ability to make you a believer in him. You know, regardless of what weight class it is and who he's fighting and you know, the insurmountable odds that he's up against you know, in, the, in these fights, for example, the Nate Diaz rematch or before that, um, fighting the greatest featherweight champion of all time in Jose Aldo, you know, he has this knack of making you a believer, making you believe that his style of fighting, his power, his precision, the fact that he's a taller, rangier southpaw, you know, the fact that he's used to big events and, and the, the big spotlight, the big stage where maybe perhaps the other fighters are, and his opponents aren't, the fact that, you know, he uses everything that is fight week as a way to get inside the mind of his opponents. I think that's what, you know, um, people uh, kind of absorb, which perhaps makes them lean towards McGregor and perhaps discount Alvarez. Nothing that Alvarez is, himself is doing. His performances have been great. He's exuding confidence. He's handling himself to the best of his ability. He doesn't have the mouth of a McGregor, but who does? Uh, but I think that's the, that's the way I'm reading things. Yeah, I totally agree. And the other thing is, uh, Conor McGregor's supporters, they are the closest thing in MMA to football fans. Mm insofar as when you're a, like, a fanatical follower of your team, they could be absolutely dreadful. They could play 90 minutes against the team, be second best for the entire 90 minutes, and then nick a goal in the 90th minute, and then you'll go away saying, we stuffed them. Because that's, how, that's the mindset, you know? It's, it's all McGregor, it's all McGregor. And uh, there is a little bit of that. It's uh, because they're fighting our guy, we're you know we're automatically dismissing them you know he's coming along he's gonna he's gonna come along for the ride but he's, he's gonna get beat and i think that is the overriding feeling with a lot of the irish fans and it has been leading up to other fights and i think it also helps build up mcgregor's confidence to know that he's got that amount of support behind him you know people don't go into fights thinking oh i don't know how he's going to do it they, the fans go in there utterly convinced that mcgregor's going to win and that must be huge for him but um, on the point of Eddie Alvarez, I think he is probably the best fighter Conor McGregor has fought in the UFC. I think we'll see that on Saturday night. Um, I think it could finish quick. It, I think McGregor could beat Alvarez quickly. I think Alvarez could beat McGregor quickly. I think the fight is, is a, real, it's a real coin flip. Um, but I think we're going to see McGregor's toughest test in the UFC today. If he passes it and becomes a two-weight world champion, then the biggest star in UFC just got even bigger. You know what's incredible, Simon? Um, when Conor McGregor won the lightweight championship in Cage Warriors, do you think he thought it would take almost four years for him to fight at 155 pounds again? Yeah, well, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? And um, it's, it's, it's strange how the events have sort of taken him. If you look at the timeline and the journey that he's taken, it hasn't all gone his way. If you go back to UFC 189, um, he was still recovering from his knee uh, reconstruction surgery after he damaged it against Max Holloway. He was still coming, coming to terms with that. He was due to fight Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo pulled out the fight with less than two weeks to go. Chad Mendes offered to step in. McGregor didn't hesitate, took the fight, beat Chad Mendes. 
overcoming some adversity to do it. Got the interim belt. That wasn't what he wanted. He got the interim belt. Then he got the fight with Jose Aldo. Knocked him out in 13 seconds. And that was him at like the peak of his powers. That's when McGregor mania really hit. Yep. Then it was, I'm going to go for glory. I'm going to go for two weight, two, two, uh, two weight division world champions. Um, and he went after Rafael Dos Anjos. And that was all set to happen. Then Dos Anjos injured his foot. That fight didn't happen. He then fought Nate Diaz and lost. That wasn't in the script either. Now, he couldn't walk away from that loss. He had to get it back. Um, professional pride, ego, whatever you want to call it. And how about pay-per-view records? Yeah, and he was racking up all of these records as he goes. But, you know, a lot of people like to hit McGregor with the, he's been handed this, he's been handed that. Every challenge he's, he's come up against, whether it be an injury, whether it be an opponent change, whether it just being the fights themselves, he's overcome them all. Okay, he lost to Diaz first time round. He went straight back in, insisted on exactly the same conditions second time round, which I think everybody was saying was it was a, a almost ridiculous thing to do. Um, but he wanted to he wanted to effectively erase history. He wanted to say he wanted no excuses. No, he didn't. If he'd have beat him at 155, there's always the there's always that little asterisk. It's like. Yeah, but he beat you at 170. Yep. You couldn't beat him at 170. That's why he took the fight at 170 again. And he won the fight second time round, and now he's got the title fight with Eddie Alvarez, um, who teed it up perfectly in Vegas when he beat Dos Anjos. He sat in a press conference and said, I've been fighting the best guys in the world. I want an easy fight. Give me Conor McGregor. And everyone in the room had a bit of a chuckle, but he was deadly serious about it. He wasn't, you know... And that, I think, is kind of underestimated because that, that really is what got the ball rolling again uh, because you had both sides of the coin wanted the fight to happen. Um, Alvarez isn't going to pull out of this fight. You know, he's, he'll, he'll be there on Saturday night. Even if he's picked up a little knock this week, he'll turn up, he'll turn up and fight. It, it's funny, um, I was reading uh, an article at, on the 42.ie uh, that had an interview with, um, with the SBG head coach and Conor McGregor's head coach, John Kavanagh, who said... In his opinion, 145 pounds is just too cold. 170 pounds is too hot. 155 pounds is just right. He, he used the old Goldilocks and the Three Bears, um, you know, kids' bedtime story to describe um, his feelings on Conor McGregor fighting at lightweight. And um, it was quite revealing, actually, because he said, look, you know, when the UFC, you know, want to sign uh, McGregor, Sean Shelby, who's in charge of the, the, the weight class, wanted someone you know with some marquee value somebody could build up in 100 145 pounds um now had perhaps uh 155 been um the debut of conor mcgregor then perhaps you know it would have been a whole different story um but we saw him time and time again you know make that cut and it got harder and harder up until uh last december when he looked like an absolute skeleton yeah and and kavanagh had said on many occasions he just doesn't, doesn't see him fighting um, you know, at featherweight ever again. But having said that, he has slightly changed his tune this week where I've, where I've heard him say, well, you know, Conor McGregor hasn't said an absolute thing about giving up any belts, you know, should he win on Saturday night. So there's just so many interesting, you know, subplots as well with Tony Ferguson. Massive win this past weekend in Mexico City. He's now gone into the number one position in the official UFC rankings. We've got Michael Johnson versus Khabib Nurmagomedov. We spoke about this in last week's show, Simon. 
That's a stellar fight. Khabib Nurmagomedov has never been beaten and was used as a pawn in the whole kind of negotiation to get to that Alvarez McGregor fight in the first place. And then we've got the shadow of Nate Diaz, the trilogy fight that everybody expects to take place at 155 pounds. So, and then we've got uh, you know, the, the unknown, this, this big kind of um, um, announcement that McGregor is, uh, is supposedly going to make after this fight. It just makes the whole build-up to Saturday night so, so interesting and fascinating. It does. And on, on, on the topic of uh, the 145 belt and the fact that McGregor hasn't, hasn't said that he's going to let it go, for me, there's a very, very simple reason for that. Because he might lose on Saturday. And if he loses on Saturday, he's still a world champion because he'll have the featherweight belt. So you can't commit to dropping the title, then lose the lightweight title fight, and then you kind of have to backtrack again and say, well, actually, maybe I'll defend it, because that makes you look dark. So keep your, keep, keep your, you know, your powder dry, your cards close to your chest, whatever daft analogy you want to use. But just don't, don't, don't go too far ahead of yourself, you know? Deal with the Alvarez fight. If you become the lightweight world champion, it's mission accomplished. Yep. Then you can drop the 145 belt. But if you lose to Alvarez, the natural thing to do is then go after Aldo again. Beat Aldo again, then go back up for 155 again. Um, but the truth of the matter is, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting. The belts clearly mean something to McGregor. He doesn't want to let them go. Granted, they're a bargaining chip as well. But he it, wants that moment, sir. He wants that moment. He wants to hold the two belts, doesn't he? He wants to throw up the deuces. Yes. He wants the two belts in his hands. He wants mm. both belts over his shoulder. He wants that iconic imagery of him doing that in Madison Square Garden, in UFC's debut, yep. in this arena, in this city. And he wants that. He just wants that moment for five minutes before, you know, whether the UFC force him or he, you know, eventually voluntarily drops one belt. He just wants that moment, he wants that spotlight, wants that moment before we can move on to other scenarios. Right, let's, let's put our cards on the table at this point. Right. Um, there are a few things that will probably be either decided or will certainly be uh, further down the road of understanding what's going to happen. So first off, let's talk about the fight. That's the most important thing here. Yep. Is Conor McGregor going to do this? Is he going to beat Eddie Alvarez? Or is Eddie Alvarez gonna, just going to be a little bit too seasoned for him? Uh, and a little bit too good everywhere. I think McGregor's going to do it. Yeah. Um, and my thinking behind it, there's not, there's not too much rocket science behind it. I think we're just going to see uh, a proven, trusted formula that we've seen him deploy in previous fights. And that is to outbox his opponent, is to use his killer left hand to be precise. He's got dynamite in his hands. Um, he's able to withstand some of the uh, the punches from a, a shorter, stockier fighter, due to his height and reach advantage, um, and you know if he's been working on his jiu-jitsu and his takedown offense, which from the outside looking in, looking at some of the, the vlogs and who he's brought into the camp, uh, the likes of Dylan Dennis and so forth, I think you know he would have made those slight little adjustments to improve that element of his game. I think he's going to do it, and I think he's going to do it by knockout, and I think he'll do it in the first couple of rounds. I've, I've gone back and forth on this because I've got a huge amount of respect for Eddie Alvarez and I think Alvarez can beat Conor McGregor. I really do. I don't think he will on Saturday though. I think McGregor, I think we might see a, something very similar to the Chad Mendes fight. I don't think there'll be the issue of the gas tank running dry for Alvarez that we saw with Mendes, but I do think we're going to see a fight where 
McGregor's going to have to fight through some adversity in the early rounds. Um, but I do see him maybe getting into the third, fourth round. I think that's when he'll start to take over. And um, Alvarez gets hit. If Alvarez was a really elusive fighter who didn't get hit, or was shown to have like an iron chin and no one had ever wobbled him, maybe I'd go with him. Alvarez is, to use a, an old phrase, he's a shit or bust kind of fighter. He will walk straight at you and throw bombs. When he fought Dos Anjos in Vegas, Dos Anjos hit him with some big shots. Um, and, in, you know, you look at his previous fights, he gets hit a lot. Yeah. Um, you can't you can't be that kind of fighter against someone like Conor McGregor. Because if you allow someone like Conor McGregor to hit you as consistently uh, and as cleanly as he's been allowing other fighters to hit him, Conor McGregor will knock him out. And I think that is eventually what will happen. I think, as I say, I think Alvarez might win the first round. I think Alvarez will go to his wrestling early. Yep. And I think once we get into the middle rounds, I think McGregor will, will start to take over. And um, I fancy him to win it by TKO stoppage. If I was going to pick a round, I'd say late, late third, maybe early in the fourth. So that's the predictions for the fight out of the way. Yep. If McGregor, as, as we're both predicting, comes out of this as the UFC lightweight champion, who should he fight next? Who, who would you put him in with next? We've got Khabib Nurmagomedov is fighting Michael Johnson. We've got uh, Tony Ferguson is now up, up there now as a, as, as a legit top contender. And as you mentioned, the spectre of Mr. Nate Diaz and that trilogy fight. Um, and as we spoke about, I think on the last show, uh, UFC 209 uh, could work out quite nicely timing-wise. Because um, we're on 205 this weekend. Give it four to six months, we, we'll be on 209. That's the perfect, perfect amount of time, allow the slow build. Would you go for Diaz? Would you go for Nurmagomedov if he beats Johnson? Or does Tony Ferguson deserve that shot? Right, so I've got a few different answers here for you. And it's not me, it's not me sitting on the fence here or anything, yeah. but it, it depends who you ask and what kind of hat you're wearing. Mm -hmm. So me, um, as the fight fan, yeah. wanting the, the pure meritocracy of our sport to shine through as often as possible. Yeah. I think you could flip a coin between Nurmagomedov and, and Johnson uh, and Ferguson, sorry. And that's obviously assuming that Khabib's gonna win. Take your pick, I'd be happy with either choice. They both um, have earned it, they both deserve it. Um, they've been patient, <laughs> you know? Um, so I'd be happy for that scenario. If I'm the UFC now, and if, if people listening to the show have been paying attention, especially to the, the MMA Junkie articles recently, where they were able to kind of get a, ha a hold of uh, a 48-page dossier uh, that kind of almost showed the, the business plan of where WME IMG could potentially take and, wh and where they have to take it to kind of hit these accelerated bonuses over the next couple of years. They've got this target to hit a certain revenue goal by next summer, June of 2017, right? And there's another, there's another target uh, for towards the end of 2018. If I'm WME IMG, I'm looking to make the biggest fights I could possibly make every pay-per-view from now on. And you've, you've already seen that happening with this fight in New York with Ronda Rousey at the end of the year. If I'm them, I'm booking the Nate Diaz trilogy fight. Right. Because we've seen this year already, both times they've broken records. I think it's 1A and 1B in terms of your time pay-per-view record now with those pay-per-views, UFC 196 and UFC 202. The, the interest, the intrigue uh, of a trilogy fight between Diaz and McGregor is there. You throw in 
uh, a lightweight championship that obviously adds to the stake uh, uh, sorry the sizzle to the stake so that's what I would do if I'm WME IMG um, I don't know so it's, a, it's a tough one isn't it it really is and obviously you know you've all you've also got this idea of perhaps dropping down um, to 145 pounds uh, and fighting Jose Aldo uh, in that rematch uh, to unify those championships um, so yeah if I so me personally meritocracy of the sport I would love to see McGregor fight either Khabib Ferguson or perhaps Aldo at 145 if I'm WME IMG I'm pushing straight for that Nate Diaz trilogy fight yeah I think the most likely thing to happen is the Diaz fight I think that's the most likely thing to happen I think we'll probably get that this is if McGregor wins then it'll be McGregor Diaz 3 um, and then Khabib versus Tony Ferguson for the next shot um, I would like to see Tony Ferguson fight Conor McGregor, I've got to be honest. Just from a stylistic point of view, I think it would be a fascinating contest. Um, they're, both, they're both quite unorthodox in, in, in their ways. I mean, McGregor is, is, is a strong boxer, but he, he throws a lot of uh, weird, spectacular kicking techniques that you, you, know, you don't see from a lot of fighters. And, and, uh, and Tony Ferguson proved beyond any doubt at the weekend that he is a legit top contender. He, he, he busted up Rafael dos Anjos. It was a great performance. You talk about style, Simon. Wouldn't it be amazing to see him take on Khabib Nurmagomedov, who everyone's still you know, asking McGregor about this wrestler question. And who better to you know, prove a point than to arguably the best wrestler in MMA, in the UFC, in Khabib Nurmagomedov? Yeah. It, it, yeah, I, I don't know whether it would be... I think, I think if you're, again, we're sitting in the WME IMG office at this point when we're talking about this, I think they need to build Khabib. Khabib hasn't fought in like a year. I think, granted, he's undefeated. He's at like 22-0 or something. And this, this almost sounds ridiculous. He's 22-0. But all the momentum from that has kind of evaporated from him being on the sidelines for as long as he has. If he goes in and absolutely blitzes Michael Johnson and then makes a real statement afterwards, then he's back in the picture and I think you've got something. And um, Russia is a big growth market for the UFC as well. Let's not forget that. So if you're being cynical, I would say Khabib Nurmagomedov is, if you were putting your money on somebody to beat McGregor, he would be the guy yep. for me. If they said, right, you... You can choose anyone in the UFC lightweight division to get the belt off McGregor. Who would you pick? I'll pick Khabib. Um, so do they want to be putting him in with him straight away? Or do you give him the Diaz fight, which is a guaranteed money spinner? Do you give him the Ferguson fight, which perhaps might be more of an even matchup, perhaps more winnable? And then let, let Khabib build. And then when McGregor's earned you loads more money, then you do it. Um, it's a difficult one because if he goes, I mean, there's, there's every chance Alvarez could beat him on Saturday, and then all of this is completely redundant. But it's it's such a fascinating situation. How about this for a scenario? If Khabib wins and if McGregor wins, and your WME IMG again, mm -hmm. I'm wearing that hat right now. How about McGregor Diaz three for the lightweight championship, co-main event Tony Ferguson versus Khabib Nurmagomedov? Makes sense. You're going to get them in a high-profile fight, being under McGregor and Diaz. 
lots of eyeballs on them. You build both of them up. Whoever then wins goes on to fight McGregor next, and you've got a perfect storyline there. Yep. And they were both due to fight earlier this year anyway. That fight was booked at one yeah. point. Yeah. So there's a bit of history there too. And then you've got the undisputed, legitimate number one contender because those are the two that are right at the top of the pile there. And if, and if, God forbid, someone fell out of the main event, they're both in place, they've had a fight camp, they can step up. Absolutely. Makes total sense. That pretty much puts a, a lid on the, uh, the UFC lightweight title fight, which was the main event. Let's look at the co-main, which for me is a, a you know, we talk about clash of styles. This really is a clash of styles. And it's kind of going under the radar, this fight. You know, there's not... Tyron Woodley's an interesting character. I think he's a fascinating character. He comes across really well. He hasn't got the fan support, though, has he? You know, that, that, that press conference, they booed him, which he found quite amusing. He's like, am I getting booed? Yes, yep. you're getting booed. And uh, you've got Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who is what Sage Northcutt would be like if he grew up. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's super polite yep. everything's fantastic he's a very sunny disposition about him and he's, uh, he's, he's, he's like the karate kid all grown up right and um, the fans seem to be siding with him and I think this is going to be a, a fascinating clash of stars you've got the power of Woodley and you've got like the dazzling technique of, of Wonderboy um, how do you see that one going down we'll, we'll, we'll do predictions for the three title fights so give us oh. a take on this one this is the one that, funnily enough, I'm flipping on, flip-flopping on the most out of the three title fights. Because as you say, you know, in the first couple of minutes of the fight, it could just be uh, an explosion of power with a, a Woodley overhand right or something like that. And, and, it, and it could potentially be lights out for, for Wonderboy Thompson. At the same time, he's got such great technique, such great footwork and such great head movement. And he's so unorthodox that it's kind of almost really hard to hit him and you know, other power punches like Johnny Hendricks failed to hit him, you know? Um, it's, it's so tough, Si. I mean, if you're gonna put a gun to my head, I might just lean slightly, I'm talking 51%, 49% to Tyron Woodley. Uh, there's, there's, some, there's something about him. There's an aura about him, uh, a certain sense of self-belief uh, that this is his time, that this is his moment to be, you know, up there with the legends and be great. And to go on to you know go on to be a, a, a long-running uh, champion in the 175 170-pound weight class, so I'm just slightly leaning towards Woodley, but I want to put money on it. <laughs> no, I'm I'm leaning towards Wonderboy. Right. And the big the big question about Wonderboy is how good is his chin? We don't know. We don't really know. I've never seen him. If he gets cracked by Woodley, Woodley is an absolute tank of a man he's not the tallest for 170 pounds he's all fast twitch explosive power Wonderboy's a lot leaner a lot longer I suspect he'll have a good reach advantage in the fight even more so when you consider he likes to lead with his kicks a lot um, I think he can control the range of the fight and I think if he can keep Woodley on the outside and pick him apart coming in I think Woodley could find himself in trouble Woodley has been knocked out before um, so, um, as you say, it's a tough one. I think it's a close one. I'm going to go with the superior technique here. I think for Woodley to win the fight, he's got to close the distance. And to do that, he's got to walk through some, some fireworks to do it. Right. Um, and we've seen Woodley get hurt before. And even though Wonderboy doesn't look like a powerful guy, he's not got that look 
we've seen what he's done to people. Um, Johnny Hendricks is a durable guy. He finished him easy, yep. easily. Um, that was a real statement for me, and that, that really sort of flicked the switch in my head as if say, okay, this isn't just a flashy striker, this is a guy who can win a world title, and, and um, I'm going to go with him. I think it's a cracking fight, it's gone under the radar, and I think we could well be walking away from Madison Square Garden on Saturday night thinking, how good is Wonderboy Thompson? I think it could be one of those. It could be one of those real wow moments, um, and you might see some ridiculous spinning, spinning kick knockout from him. I can but, just see it happening. Well, if anyone on the car is capable of that, it's certainly Steve Wonderboy yeah, Thompson. Yeah, he's, he's, he's superb. And the other title fight on the card, um, I think has got Fight of the Night written all over it. Uh, the, the Battle of Poland. Uh, the Polish Civil War. The Polish Civil War. Joanny and Jacek against Karolina Kowalkiewicz um, in a fight that just... It, this fight cannot suck. It can't suck. It's just... You watch the, the fights that both these both these women have been in. They're always just knock, knock down, drag out wars. And they're both people who just, they bite down on their mouthpiece, tuck their chin and go for it. Yep. And unfortunately, it's gonna be like, I think it's probably gonna be one of these career defining fights where I think the one who loses is probably never gonna be the same again. Uh, just from a mental standpoint, because Whoever wins, the loser is going to get beat up because that's just the way these two girls fight. So, um, if I'm picking, I'm picking Joanna. I can't not pick Joanna the way she's performed in the octagon. Um, Carolina is tough, and I can see this going going the distance. To be honest, I think we might see a decision. Um, and if it does go to five rounds, I think it's going to be five of the most brutal rounds we've ever seen in women's MMA. I think it's going to be. It's going to be uh, one hell of a fight. Yeah, I I'm loving this fight. I'm so pumped and excited to see this fight. Um, this year, Joanna Young Jacek's performance against Claudia Gadella is, for me, one of the definitive performances from a mixed martial artist in 2016. The way she stuck to the game plan in that fight, dragged it out into the third, fourth, and fifth round, and beat Gadella with a better gas tank was just a thing of beauty, it was, it was almost like a piece of art developing in front of our very eyes. Um, her technique is just incredible, her footwork, her hand speed, it's just just a, th a thing of beauty, it really, really is. It really, I can't you know, speak highly enough about it, I love it. And Joanna's one of those fighters that I've been fortunate enough to have covered from almost day one, you know, from a time in Cage Warriors before signing to the UFC. And, and, and in fact, she's the only current undefeated UFC champion in the entire roster. No yeah. other fighter that's a, that currently holds a belt around their waist can claim that they're undefeated. Yona and Jacek can. Yeah. We saw her earlier on side just a few hours ago, um, you know, milling around here in the MSG area in the Fighters Hotel. She looks really calm and cool and collected, having some fun, shooting some vlogs and bits and pieces. Um, I think come the fight night, I think this means so much to her. She, she was really kind of you know, campaigning to fight in Madison Square Garden and in New York City. Um, from what I'm led to believe, obviously there's a massive Polish contingent here. It'll be interesting to see from the ticket holders how, what portion of that would be McGregor fans, um, the Irish, what contingent will be Polish, how much noise will they make. Um, Kowalkiewicz is going to prove to be a very tough, tough challenge for Joanna Jacek, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually fairly confident that she's going to be able to pull it off. I, I agree with you, I think it will take five rounds. 
and I don't think there's any quit in Carolina whatsoever. And I think she'll ultimately pay the price for surviving um, and trying to get through each round. Uh, but I think by the end of the 25 minutes, Joanna Janjajic is going to light her up and uh, and eventually get the get the points to get her hands raised. Yeah, and your point about being the only undefeated world champion, uh, just to build on that, people love to talk about the pound for pound rankings, and obviously if Conor McGregor wins, then he's got to be right up there, right up there. If you're a two-weight world champion, you're a pound, one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world. For me. Joanny and Jacek's right up there. I don't see another champion in the UFC who fights with the ferocity, uh, the energy, and just the sheer force of will that Joanny and Jacek does. Could you, you know, everyone has their own style and all the rest of it. For me, Joanna, I'd put a top top three pound for pound. Yep. Maybe even in the top two. Maybe not. Well, she better than John Jones. No. I'd put than Demetrius Johnson, perhaps not. No, John, uh, I'd, I'd say Demetrius Johnson was number one. Yeah. I'd say John Jones is number two, and I'd say Uranian and JJ is number three. Fair shout. Um, anybody out there listening to this who's thinking, Simon, what are you talking about? Or you're thinking, do you know what? You're right. Let us know. Tweet us at the Britpack MMA and tell us who you, or where you think Uranian and JJ sits in the pound for pound rankings leading into this weekend, and uh, where a win. For Conor McGregor might leave him um, if he uh, becomes a two-weight world champion. Will he be the number one on that pound-for-pound pound list? That's the three fights we've predicted. We've predicted them all. Uh, so we've gone for. We've both put McGregor in the main event. Yeah. We're either side of the coin in the co-main event, and we're and we're uh, united again for the uh, the third title fight on the card. Yoanny and Jacek getting the win. It's such a deep card. There's so many good fights on this card. Um, I'm looking forward to Chris Weidman against uh, Yoel Romero. I'm looking forward to seeing how Rashad Evans looks after some time off coming back at 185. There's so many good fights on this card. Frankie Edgar, it's going to be something spectacular. Um, you asked us some questions, Sandu. Um, yes. And uh, I understand we've got a few questions. And I'm guessing most of them are about this week and this event, right? Well, I mean, I sent the tweet out. This is a, a UFC 205 special. It's one of the biggest events in, in the history of the sport, in the history of the UFC. There's nothing else we could talk about this week in the space of an hour or two. And, um, and you, you just made a point there of kind of highlighting some of the other fights outside of the title fights. And that's actually a great segue into the very first question that comes in from Stuart Tuckwell. And he says, away from the title fights, which fighters, or perhaps fighter, has the most to gain from a win at UFC 205? The most gain from a win, I would say Chris Weidman. I think if Chris Weidman beats Joel Romero, I think he gets the next shot on Michael Bisping. I think that is the natural, that is the natural thing, um, the natural route. I think Luke Rockhold, obviously, he's, he's looking, to, looking to bounce back. He was due to fight, obviously got injured. So Jack Array's kind of left floating in the ether again, which is unfortunate for him. Um, I think, the, I think the coast is clear now. If Chris Weidman gets the job done against Joel Romero, and particularly if he can finish Joel Romero inside three rounds, then I think it's a, a nailed-on nailed uh, match-up with, with Michael Bisping next. They've got this simmering rivalry going on, sniping at each other on social media, uh, having a little dig at each other at every opportunity. And uh, I think all the while Rockhold was in the picture, 
Weidman was always going to be a little bit below because of what, what Rockhold did to him. Um, but now Rockhold's kind of out of the picture, he's, he's injured. I think the coast is clear now. I think it's the natural fight to make. Um, so I think Weidman is the number one guy. I think um, you could argue Khabib could position himself, but I think, I think Weidman's the guy. He's also got the most to lose as well. If he loses badly, then he's falling down into, into the middle of the pack again, and it's going to be a tricky one for him. It's a real knife-edge fight for Chris Weidman on home soil this weekend. Yeah, I'm totally on board with that assessment of things, Simon. Um, Chris Weidman, you know, being the New York boy, having helped the UFC you know, push for legislation here in New York State to get MMA legalized, uh, he actually had to have a, an 11th hour conversation with Lorenzo Fatita to actually get the deal done to fight on this card. And it's unfortunate, which is another subplot for this card, that so many of his teammates um, in, in, in the Longo camp, Sierra Longo camp, like Aljamain Sterling and uh, Ally Quinta, it's unfortunate that they're not going to be fighting um, on the very first card, which would have been a nice little moment for them. But, you know, he's the golden boy um, for, for New York at the moment. And um, if he wins, yeah, with the Rockhold injury, you know, I think, like you said, uh, the coast is clear um, for, for Weidman. And, and also Bisping has said, you know, on numerous occasions that he wants that fight. He's also then said if, if Romero wins, he won't fight Romero due to his past, you know, um, you know, uh, you know. Anti-doping indiscretion. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Weidman, yep. And, uh, and uh, again, like you said, we said before, Khabib Nurmagomedov, depending on how the rest of the lightweight picture, you know, you know, unveiled itself over the next week or so, yeah. he's also well within a shout, should he win in a dominant fashion. Yeah. Right, so the next question comes from Sonny Danjal, and he says, is this the peak of UFC events, or is this the start of a new big event era? I think this is the start of a new big event era, and I'll tell you for why. The way that the UFC have run their business up to this point has got them to where we are today. Now, for WMEIMG to come in and fork out over $4 billion to buy the UFC, they're not going to get that money back just carrying things on. They need to, they need to up things and do things differently. Um, and I think WMEIMG as a company, they deal in stars. That's what they do. And I think all of the power and the might of their promotional uh, expertise is really going to need to be thrown behind like the, the real high achievers in the UFC. Your Conor McGregor's, your Ioanni, your Jacek's, people like this. And really elevate them up where they're in a similar conversation with your LeBrons and people like this. And they become more of a household name in America. And then the, the way to do that is to put on, quotes, super fights. Now that doesn't mean non-title fights where they're jumping weight divisions. Just make bigger occasions of the fights. That might mean they scale things back a little bit with some of the smaller shows to allow longer run-ups to the big shows. The benefit of this show, or one of the benefits of this show, is we've had a nice long run-up. Yeah. Granted, we had the tough, tough Latin America finale at the weekend as a little appetizer, but basically we've had a three-week run-up for this. And it, what it does, it allows you to tell the story, it allows you to get things out there, and it allows people to get invested in the people who are fighting. So that when the fights actually happen and you start asking people to fork out for pay-per-view, they've read about it in the news, they've seen it on the TV, they've seen it on the internet. And they're thirsty because they haven't watched it in a while. Right, so sometimes less is more. And it also allows you to stack the deck a little bit more because you're not stretching your roster so far across, across so many events. So I think we might see 
not a massive scaling back of events in terms of numbers. I think they might scale back a few just to allow for bigger run-ups to the real tentpole events, if you like, such as this one. Um, and I think they're going to be leveraging the stars. So I think, I think they're going to look to push it that way. So fingers crossed, we're going to see a lot more of these big occasion type events. Um, and this is obviously the first one. Yeah, not much more to add. I'm on, I'm on the same page with you, that, with you there, Sai. I think going back to what I said earlier on, you know, they bought the UFC for $4 billion. Um, it's quite clear now what they've got to do over the course of the next six to nine months to hit this first kind of almost accelerated bonus target. And, um, and with Ronda Rousey saying she's going to be around for a few more fights, you know, Conor McGregor at the peak of his stardom, you've got Nate Diaz, who's obviously benefited from his rivalry with McGregor this year, also um, at that star power level. You've got Nick Diaz just around the corner who wants to fight again. Now's the time to make these big GSP potentially coming back. Now's the time to make these big, big fights where people will fork out 60 bucks. And um, yeah, I think that's definitely a start of this new big event feeling uh, of an era coming up. So um, RG uh, tweets in, and, and I guess this is kind of like coming from this past weekend's main event between Tony Ferguson um, and, oh, my mind's gone blank now. RDA. Tony Ferguson, yeah, and RDA. Yeah. He says, should I pokes become an automatic points deduction? Now, during the fight, um, early in the fight, Ferguson went eyeballs deep in RDA. Pardon that the sounds pun. terrible. Yeah, pardon the pun. <laughs> I tweeted out an image. You can check it out on my, on my Twitter, Twitter yeah. feed. And it looked to have made a big impact on RDA for the remainder of the fight, which was another three or four rounds. Now, I've always been of the opinion that things like nut shots and you know, eye pokes, they, they could be considered to be accidental. Things like cage grabbing should be unforgivable because you know the rules. And I think for stuff, stuff like cage grabbing, it should be an immediate point deduction. Things like nut shots and, and, and eye pokes, you know, there is, you know, you've got to read it as a referee to see if you think the, 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 the fighter did it intentionally or unintentionally and so forth and just make a judgment call there. I think there is um, some leeway just to kind of give a, a harsh warning or a verbal warning before they perhaps do it again. But it's so hard because, you know, that one eye poke could then have a drastic effect on the course that fight takes place. So I wouldn't be against them giving an immediate point deduction, even if it is an eye poke. What's your, I suppose, thoughts and opinions, not just on eye pokes, but I suppose fouls in the sport yeah. and whether a point should be deducted immediately or not? Let me, let, me, let me preface this with the scoring system is a big barrier to this, or a big problem, if you like. Because most of the fights are contested over three rounds, and we're using the boxing 10-point must scoring system. A point deduction for anybody is a crippler, right? So it's 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 disproportionate to the fight. So you know, a point a point deduction. In my opinion, if you grab the cage, point deduction. I also believe if it's an eye poke, point deduction, straight off. But that has to be for me in conjunction with instant replay, and that's not across the board. I think eye poke incidents, where there is a natural stoppage in the action, it should be reviewed. The referee should be able to watch it on a monitor and view it and say, was it an eye poke? It wasn't a knuckle. Because right. we've seen instances where people have claimed an eye poke and it's turned out to just be a clean punch. Right. So that's why the instant replay is really important, because otherwise you'll get people faking eye pokes or people being unfairly 
penalised for it. But if it's a legit IPO, then I think, yeah. Because you're told, don't, keep, don't fight with your fingers out. That's part of your briefing at the start, keep closed fists and all the rest of it. So I think if you're, if you're given that instruction before the fight and then you, you go against it in a fight and it, because an eye poke is probably, the, I would argue, worse than a nut shot. If you get kicked in the plums, you get five minutes to recover and you feel a bit sick. And, but we've seen fighters come back from that and do okay. You get poked badly in the eye, you're, you're done. You know, the eye, you, you know, you, we, we've seen it time and time again. It's, it really does, it really does inhibit you as a fighter. So I would take a point. I think that the scoring system is a problem. Maybe you can introduce some sort of card system. Uh, give me Pride a style. Yeah, um, you know, you have, you have a yellow card for the first foul, point off for the second one. Um, so it's not the same as giving a, a verbal warning and it, then taking a point it afterwards. Is, it is, but by introducing a card system, you're then effectively uh, mandating it as a rule. Fair enough, yeah. Whereas if, you're, if it's down to like a warning, it might be a bit more down to interpretation. Whereas if, it, if, it's, if it's an eye poke, it's an eye poke, you're, you know, you're on a yellow. Right. Um, if it looks deliberate, point off. Um, it, well, if it's deliberate, you should be disqualified. Let's be honest, if you're, if you're deliberately fighting people in the eye, you shouldn't be fighting, so you should be disqualified. But yeah, I think the, I think the scoring system makes it tricky. Yeah. Because if you lose a point um, for, for what is an incidental eye poke, then you're up against it, aren't you? So, but, you know, it needs to be a deterrent, I suppose. So I would say, yeah, take a point. Um, another question by RG. He says, now that Joanna Janjacic is at American Top Team, do you think she'll aim to grapple more and repeat a win over Karina Kalkowicz? Uh, by rear naked choke, which is how I believe um, she won the first time they fought. Now, I just can't see that happening. I just think, you know, you, you don't just start to grapple and get some wrestling practice in with some of the best he uh, wrestling coaches in the world, our American top team, for three or four months and all of a sudden drastically change your game. She is an out and out striker, one of the best in the world at what she does. I think she's going to go to a proven, trusted formula like all fighters who are at the stage of the careers like she is, um, and just do what she does best and just do it better than her opponents. I don't think there's any rocket science behind it. Now, will it help her in any situation where takedown defense is required, like she needed in the Claudia Gadella fight? Absolutely. But I think to implement that as an offense, I don't see it happening whatsoever. No, totally agree. I think, I think having that, having that um, extra, extra ability in terms of wrestling, just makes her all the more dangerous in the stand-up. If you can't, if you can't get her out of her, her 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 main game, which is punching you in the face repeatedly, uh, then you're in trouble. So, if she can keep the fight standing, then she will win pretty much any fight against any fight against any 115-pound woman in the world. So, um, it just makes her all the more dangerous in the stand-up for me. Uh, Phil tweets in and says, who meets the winner of Eddie and Connor? Is it Khabib or Ferguson? We pretty much went at length with that, Phil, so I hope we answered your question earlier in the show. Anthony tweets in, uh, Anthony W, and says, question, if Alvarez knocks out Connor at UFC 205, how bad would that damage his stock slash brand? Uh, we'd get a rematch. <laughs> you can bet he'd want a rematch. Um, do you think we get a rematch, or do you think Connor would have to eat some humble pie and go back to 145 and defend that belt? Connor, Connor brings numbers, and that 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 immediately makes things more compelling. 
especially when we talk about what we were talking about earlier and hitting hitting certain performance targets and things like that. So there's certain leverage that he can bring to bear there. Um, I would say, yeah, of course his brand will be damaged to a point. But one of the things I think, I think if you look at the story of Conor McGregor, the loss to Nate Diaz, I think is one of the most important chapters in the story. I think it it shows us that this is this is a, this is a guy who can get beat, and the fact the the fact that he is vulnerable makes him more human. I think it makes him more relatable. I think it makes him a more interesting story. It's not like when Mike Tyson fought or when Ronda Rousey fought before she got beat, where it wasn't a case of will will they win. It's how quickly will they win. And after a while, it starts to get tired. I mean, I remember when when Ronda was going into the Holly Holm fight, people were saying. Why are, they, why are they giving her that fight? And, you know, they're talking about cleaning out the division. You know, Demetrius Johnson's suffering from this. He's too good for the rest of the field. McGregor is an exceptional fighter, but he's shown vulnerability. And that actually makes him a more bankable asset because there's that element of risk and that element of danger. And when you go and watch a prize fight, as a, as a promoter, do you want to go into that fight well, you want the people to go into that fight not knowing who's going to win. You want to know that both guys have got a chance of winning. Uh, and uh, I think the fact that we've seen McGregor get beat makes him more bankable. If he loses again, then don't forget it's his lightweight debut. So we'll see how it goes. I don't think it'll damage it too badly. I think he'll come back. If he were to lose again, like two back to back, then maybe we start talking about damage. See, I'm not sure about this. I suppose it c comes down to how he would lose, right? If Alvarez just put on a clinic on him and just beat him from pillar to post for five rounds, grinded, out, grinded him out, you know, took him to the, takes him to the ground and just wrestles the crap out of him, then everybody that's been talking about, oh, McGregor hasn't fought a wrestler, will be like, ah, see, I told you. I told you this is what happens when he fights an actual wrestler. And that will maybe perhaps demystify that element of his game. At the same time, if Alvarez was to clip Conor McGregor a la Jose Aldo style in 13 seconds and knock him out, um, that would be, you know, just a viral sensation immediately as well. So I suppose, I mean, if it's a, an all-out war and it's a split decision, then all that does is, I suppose, raise both stock of both guys up. Say, listen, these are two of the best fighters in the world and it was a really close fight. It could have gone either way um, and that would just legitimise both Alvarez and McGregor. Um, so I think it would all come down to how McGregor would lose. Um, and I think if it's one of those scenarios that I just um, said, if it's a, a, com a complete whitewash over 25 minutes or an early knockout, that could potentially, could potentially um, start to demystify McGregor as a fighter. Uh, but we'll have to just ha you know, see how it all kind of shapes out, I suppose. It's going to be fascinating. And yeah. anyone who gets knocked out badly, uh, that, that will do damage. Was the question um, if Eddie knocks him out? Is that what you said? It actually was. It wasn't anything to do with you know how I described the fight going out. It was if he knocks him out. If he knocks him out, if he knocks him out clean. Yeah. If we're talking proper flat out on the canvas, knocked out, then yeah, it'll damn. It could, yeah, of course it will. There'll be memes going around will. instantly. You know what I mean? Of course it will. Yeah. It'll be it'll be very reminiscent of what happened to Ronda Rousey. Exactly. But I don't think Connor will disappear for a year. I think Connor will want to get back in there. They're, they're, you know, they'll have to give him six to nine months to sort of get himself back together again. I'd imagine he'd handle it a lot better than Rousey did. Yeah, I do. I do too. It's one of the things that doesn't get said enough about Conor McGregor was the way he reacted to his loss to Nate Diaz. He took it like a champion. He gave the credit that was due. 
and uh, he came storming back and got his revenge. And you can bet he, if that happened to him this weekend, you would expect him to try and do the same again. Yep. Graham Hughes tweets in and says, how are the UFC gonna sort out the next lightweight challenger? It seems a lot of genuine contenders. I suppose another way of kind of, I suppose, phrasing the question is, what do you do if you're the UFC, Simon? How do you keep the likes of Tony Ferguson, and Khabib Nurmagomedov, um, and Nate Diaz and others happy, you know, while you know you're kind of you know bending over backwards to Conor's demands for some of these big epic fights that are obviously going to bring in such big revenue for them? Well, I think I'm hoping that this weekend will hit the reset button on the featherweight division and the lightweight division. I'm hoping that it will because what should happen, and you know it, it remains to be seen. But what should happen is by the end of this weekend, we should have a, a clearly defined featherweight world champion, whether that be McGregor or Jose Aldo, um, and we should have a clearly defined lightweight champion, whether it be Eddie Alvarez or whether it be Conor McGregor. Um, and at, at that point, you really, I think you need to say to McGregor, right, this is your lane now. You're in 155, we're, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna we're, we're, we'll have a chat but basically we want you to stay at 155. Same with 145. It then, you then put the belt on, on Aldo, that, that can then progress, and then you start to build that again. And, and I think that's what's needed. I think that's what's needed. And you know, we talked about meritocracy earlier on, and, yep. and that's why I said I want to see Tony Ferguson get that fight. Um, because I think he's the, he's the most worthy next contender. And although Khabib Nurmagomedov has obviously been with the UFC for a while, mm. Tony Ferguson's story comes from almost the grassroots of the UFC's model, which is he tough. came through yeah. the Ultimate Fighter system, yeah. he was on a tough contract, and, and he's kind of worked his way up the system that the yeah. UFC have created within their promotion, within their brand, within their league. And he's been active. Yeah, And he's Very been active. active. I think that's, that's the biggest thing against Khabib, is he's not been active. And yeah. it's, all right, he's injured, and you know, you can't, Sometimes you can't you can't help these things, but it's an unescapable fact that while he hasn't been fighting, Ferguson's been fighting and winning and looking good against good guys. So I think give Ferguson the shot, and and then you go through the process of who's the next top contender, and then people are jostling for position. Let's make these rankings mean something again. Right. And that's a discussion for another day. Yeah. We'll do that on a separate podcast. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about the rankings, but yeah, I think. I think that's what needs to happen. Get everything back on, on the level again and only do these division jumping super fights when it's absolutely necessary and when perhaps there aren't a, a queue of contenders lining up. So that's, that, that's the time to do them. Uh, Graham Hughes also tweeted in and said, who at UFC 205 gets fighter tonight? I think we're on the same page in, in agreement that it'll Kelly, be uh, JJ yeah. versus KK yeah. um, that gets that one. Um, Jack Glossop tweets in and says, should John Jones get an immediate title shot returning from suspension? Now, I'll preface that by saying, first of all, John Jones has been suspended by USADA for a year, Yep. right? Now that's gonna be uh, retroactive to this past July, I think it's July 6th or July 7th, which means he'll be available um, to fight potentially, potentially next summer at the big July 4th card. Now, having said that, he's still yet to face the sword of Damocles, which is the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Dun, dun, dun. Now, although, although the sword of Damocles has been blunted slightly, yeah, because everybody's favourite commissioner, Pat Lumval, is now. Oh, well, I don't know if she has stepped down, but she's going to be stepping down, so she probably won't be there. Well, that remains to be seen. I know, I know that this hearing, which included, or does, should include Brock Lesnar, Nate Diaz, and John Jones, was supposed to be her last hurrah before she rides <laughs> off into the sunset. 
Um, but look, with her or without her, it's still a clown court, you know? It's a kangaroo court. Um, these guys have just done some despicable things over the years. Um, the one that jumps out to mind straight away is handing Nick Diaz Nick a five-year suspension, which Nick then obviously Diaz. they overturned and turned into an 18-month suspension. But yeah. having said that, now, they are not bound to agree to what USADA says is the, the right suspension. That's USADA. They could easily give John's, John Jones a two-year suspension or a three-year suspension. We just don't know what they're going to do, and that remains to be seen. Should he get an immediate title shot? No. I think you've given him way too many chances. He's let the UFC down, he's let, he's let the sport down more than anything else. He's let himself down uh, with all of these uh, situations over the past three or four years. I think um, he needs to get into a number one contenders fight, whether it's a rematch against Gustafsson. I mean, to be honest with you, we just don't know when he's going to return. So whenever he would return or should return or is going to return, we'll just have to see what the light heavyweight picture looks like then. Oh, who, who knows, if it's a two, three year suspension, maybe he'll come back as a heavyweight. You know, he's getting to that point of his life where perhaps you know, he does want to pack on some muscle and get into the heavyweight division. He's talked about it for a long, long time. But to answer the question, should he get an immediate title, immediate title shot upon his return, whenever that is, a flat no from me. You can't come back from a, an anti-doping suspension and walk into a title shot. You just can't. I just don't, I think that sends totally the wrong message. Yeah, we know he's good. You know, one of the best to ever do it. But you've also got to, you've also got to do things the right way. Um, you know, we're going to see Daniel Cormier and, and Anthony Rumble Johnson fight later this year. Um, one of those is going to lose. Um, so the natural thing would either be to put John Jones in with the loser of that fight or with someone like Alex Gustafsson. Either way, you've got three incredible fights. You've got a rematch with DC, you've got the fight with Rumble that should have happened but didn't, or you've got a, a rematch with Gustafsson. All three of those are big box office fights that could headline a UFC pay-per-view. So don't give him a title fight, but give him a big fight, yeah. And if he gets through them, then he's back in the title picture again. But yeah, he doesn't walk back into a title fight, no way. Uh, the final question from uh, a loyal a listener and fan of the Brit Pack, Daryl Chumbly. Daryl says, fancy matchmaker. GSP says he could make 155. Connor versus GSP in 2017, make money or hold up divisions? Both. <laughs> it, it, it would make money and it would hold up the divisions. Um, I, think, I think if GSP comes in, I think there's an argument that he could fight for the, the welterweight belt on his return because he never lost it. But to walk into a lightweight title fight, I think might be stretching things a little bit because it'll be his divisional debut. Uh, and this is a division that, as we've said, almost on every show is arguably the most talent stacked division in the UFC. It's the Shark Tank has you, been for years. Yeah, you can't just, you can't, you can't just do that. Like, at welterweight you can because your legacy is there and you never lost. You, it's like Dominic Cruz coming back and fighting for the belt he never lost, right? Although he had to beat Takeo Mizugaki first, right? Um, so no would be the answer to that. Let him go in and fight someone else first and then maybe fight McGregor. Or if McGregor gets beat by Alvarez, then you could do a, a super fight because there's no belt on the line. But yeah, it would make an absolute truckload of cash, so it probably happened. Well, I'll expand on the question <laughs> a little bit. Whether it's GSP, whether it's Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz, whether it's uh, Jose Aldo, whether it's Alvarez again, Conor McGregor's got options. He's always going to have options. Who doesn't want to fight him? You know, and he's got options at multiple weight classes now. You know what I mean? So I think McGregor will always be in a big money fight. 
just because of his name value and what he brings to the table. And now, um, at this stage of his career, he's got a few dance partners that he's got some history with, but you could also position him with another heavyweight pay-per-view powerhouse like a GSP, and you can just bring two worlds together, two nations together in Canada and Ireland, um, and have that worthy of being held in MSG, you know? So I think the, 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 the response here is, again, if you're WMEIMG, you are going to try and make the biggest fights possible. And, uh, and yeah, why not? You know, why not? And if it holds up divisions, again, from, from a sporting perspective, from us journalists who want to see the sport and the, and the UFC try and develop as much as they can through meritocracy, we understand that this is a business and there is entertainment value to seeing two marquee names and two marquee fighters fight once in a lifetime and the, and the window is sh so short on these fighters uh, careers that if they don't strike while the iron is hot they may never get that chance um, you know we spoke about Mayweather Pacquiao for years and for me it was just five six years too late it's gonna happen again soon by the way uh, yeah I heard about that after he beat Jesse Vargas uh, yeah. last weekend that fight will happen again trust me yeah and, and it will still have zero interest from me <laughs> um, but look that, that wraps up all the questions Si and uh, I really want to thank everyone uh, for supporting the show over the last couple of months we're now kind of you know I think really starting to make some strides we're, we're, we're going to be soon launching the video element or the video um, for portion of the show or um, um, format of the show that's what I was looking for um, we're going to have more additional content on the website um, just go to the BritPackMMA.com bookmark it add it to your favorites share that with your friends let them know about it spread the word we are two British journalists who are giving our perspective, our opinion on the sport globally. Uh, we hope you appreciate it. We're, we're, we're trying to improve and you know, tweak the show uh, as well as the website now moving forwards. Really appreciate everyone's support. Really appreciate everyone chipping in with questions because it really helps us create a really good opinion-based segment of the show um, every week. And uh, yeah, keep uh, hitting us up on Twitter at the Britpack MMA at Simon Head and myself at Sandu MMA. And on top of all the rest of it, it's just good fun to do. It's good fun to do. Sandu was pestering me to do this for about a year before I actually caved and said, yeah, okay, let's do this. But um, it's been great fun. And to be sitting here right now in the shadow of Madison Square, literally in the shadow of Madison Square Garden, um, recording a podcast before the biggest, biggest UFC event of all time. This is, this is great stuff. And if we're able to bring a little bit of the flavor of that to you guys uh, listening, then uh, so much the better. Um, also a heads up, um, now this is obviously going to be releasing um, during fight week so it, hopefully this gives you um, the nice kind of appetizer and gets you ready for fight night on Saturday. I'm flying out super early on Sunday morning so Simon Head uh, will be responsible. Oh, blimey, <laughs> responsibility. Responsible for getting um, a special edition of the podcast recorded uh, from the media room and I'm sure that the likes of our good friends John Morgan, Abby Subban and and all the rest of them will be chipping in with a couple of minutes of their opinion and feedback and initial reaction to Fight Night. Uh, we know that you guys like those uh, episodes and that format of the show. Um, so look forward to that following UFC 205. If you're looking for some content, looking for some initial reaction, keep an eye out on the BritPackMMA.com. Keep an eye out on your, your podcast uh, subscription uh, app that you use because there will be a special edition of the show dropping um, on Sunday following Fight Night. Absolutely, we did 202 uh, and it went down really well. Um, got a lot of nice nice messages after UFC 202 and doing the, uh, the press room stuff afterwards. So we will 
We will repeat the trick this weekend with any luck. Um, subscribe to the show if you don't already. That would be that would be hugely appreciated. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that on Stitcher, and you can do that on Acast. Acast. Yeah. You can listen on SoundCloud. Um, but the best place to go, basically, to get all your links to listen to the show from from the web and to subscribe is the uh, our new website, uh, thebritpackmma.com. If you are on iTunes and you do subscribe, love it if you left us a review. Um, it's not something we've really pushed for that strongly, but we're up and running now. We've got, I think this is show number 15, um, I think. And um, it would be really nice to get some get some, uh, some cool feedback and some ratings from you guys. Uh, and uh, yeah, jump on iTunes, leave us a review, and uh, you never know, we might even give you a shout out on a, on a future edition of the show. That is pretty much us done. We are gonna we're gonna pack up, get ourselves a, a late lunch or an afternoon tea, and uh, get ourselves ready for the carnage that will be UFC Fight Week. By the time you hear this, there's a very real chance that America will have a new president. Will we have a new UFC lightweight champion on Saturday night? We will find out in just a matter of days. This was the Brit Pack. We will talk to you after the fights. Until then, enjoy the fights, and we will speak to you very soon.